When I went off to graduate school in Durham, North Carolina, at Duke University, I wanted to study languages, the biblical languages. When undergraduate school, I took a triple major in history, religion, and Russian language. And Russian was a fascinating language. I learned it. Of course, I was a child of the Cold War era and the the evil empire, as Ronald Reagan called it. And I wanted to study and learn and know who the Russians were. And so I learned their, their language. But lang- and it, it, it sparked a love of languages in me. So when I went off to graduate school, I wanted to study the languages of the Bible. The languages that the Bible was originally written in. Hebrew in the Old Testament, which is a poetic language. A beautiful poetic language, although its writing structure kind of looks like it was invented by the Klingons. It's still a a very fascinating, beautiful, rhyming language. Of course, it's also a language in which context is everything for meaning. Then there was Greek, the language that the New Testament was written in. Greek, which was invented by math majors to look philosophical. Greek, a difficult language, but a fascinating language. A language of great precision. You can state things in Greek in four words that takes four sentences in English. It's greatly precise in terms of time, in terms of place, in terms of actor, in terms of that which is being acted upon. And there's no ambiguity in terms of the parts of speech. It's a very complex language, too. So I struggled with it. At being an English speaker, of course I struggled with Greek. Having studied Russian, I had a leg up on the Cyrillic alphabet in which it is written, but it's still different enough that it gave me challenges. And so I struggled with it, and I struggled with it not alone. I had a fellow... uh, student, a comrade, if you will, in in my studies. He was a tall man, a lanky man, uh, a man about 27 years older than me, who I met my first day at graduate school in my first class in the Greek class. And he was good with vocabulary, and I was good with parts of speech, so we kind of together, as he said, together we kind of made a good language student. Uh, together, not separate, of course. Anyway, he's a fascinating man, and I got to know him very well for a couple of reasons. Uh, he was a strange man. He was quiet, soft-spoken, and he spoke with a very pronounced Texas twang. He was indeed a fellow Texan. And, of course, that means that he was, um, you know, strange in and of himself. I was strange. He was also... A monk. A what? A monk, yes. He was a member of the Society of St. John the Evangelist, an Anglican monastic community that had a house, a monastery there in the Durham-Raleigh area. So he was weird, but he was weird in yet another way. He was from Farmersville. (laughs) I'd known Farmersville. I'd come here to eat at a Mexican food restaurant down on the square when I was a child and had friends who lived just east of McKinney on a farm. So I'd been here many times, and so he was a friend from home. His name was Eldridge Pendleton. A few of you may know who he was. Eldridge was a dear man, a kind man, 
a very smart man. He went off to the University of Virginia where he got his doctoral degree in American history. He was a kind man. He was studying for the priesthood in the Episcopal Church, had already been uh, made a lifetime member of the Society of St. John the Evangelist. He was uh, living in Boston when he was appointed to go to school down at Duke, and I got to meet him there, and we studied Greek together, and he invited me out to the monastery there in Raleigh, and I fell in love with their worship life, so much so that I took a break from my graduate studies to go there, to the monastery at 980 Memorial Drive in Cambridge, Massachusetts, to study and to worship, to discover if I was called to be a monk. Now, monks are usually quiet. (laughs) That ain't me. Monks are compassionate. I like to think of that being me. Monks like to study. That's definitely me. Monks like to sing, that's definitely me. Monks like to worship, that's definitely me. So there's lots of definite yeses, lots of maybes, and a few, uh, Greg, are you crazies? I loved it there. The monastery was beautiful, it was quiet, it was peaceful. But most especially the men who lived there, the monks of the society, an Episcopalian monastic community welcomed me with open arms, loved me and cared for me, encompassed me with God's grace and let me know that they were there to make the journey with me if God called me to be a monk. And I went through the discernment process and as I went through this process, Eldridge was there to help. His guidance, his compassion, his Observations were powerful. Another monk there, Paul Wessinger, was also very helpful to me as my spiritual guide in discerning Jesus' call in my life. And we determined a couple of things. First of all, my Episcopalian ethos and background lent me this direction, but my Methodist and Wesleyan theology called me to be the pastor of a church. And so instead of entering into the monastic community... I entered into a distant relationship with them called the associate status and returned to finish my doctoral work at Duke and to go and pastor churches. And I will never, in these past 27 years, I have never regretted that decision. Never regretted entering into the pastorate. Never regretted giving myself to Jesus and being ordained in the United Methodist Church and serving as a shepherd and an under-shepherd for the flock of Jesus Christ. And it was those monks, it was Eldridge and some of the other monks, David Bryhoff and Paul Wessinger and Father Brian Bostwick, it was uh, Father, Father Gross, it was a number of these monks who guided me and ushered, shepherded me through, ushered me through the discernment process to discern where Jesus was calling me to live, to serve, and to be as a child of God. These monks adopted me graciously into their life and faith. And to this day, when I go back to Cambridge to go on a spiritual retreat, they'll ask me, 
When they find out I'm coming, they'll call and I'll say, we know you're coming for a spiritual retreat, Greg. We know you're coming not to work. But could you come a day or two early or stay a day or two late and preach for us? Wow. One of the best preachers in my seminary class was Eldridge Pendleton. Not because he was dynamic, but because when he spoke quietly and confidently about the love of God, you could hear the voice of Jesus in his Texas twang, in his Farmersville spirit. I praise God for Eldridge. He went to be with the Lord a few years ago. He was a dear man, a fellow student of Greek, and a man who taught me what the grace of God is about. These monks taught me what the grace of God was about. These monks and Eldridge lived this passage today. He destined us, God destined us, for adoption as His children through Jesus Christ I was adopted into that family of faith, just as each and every one of us has been adopted into the body of Christ, the church welcomed, encompassed by the love of God in the church. God destined us for adoption as His children. Now, we're not Presbyterians or Calvinists. We don't believe in predestination. Well, we're Methodists, Wesleyan, Arminians, yeah. But we know that God destines us through His foreknowledge of our faith. God destined us for adoption as His children through Jesus Christ according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace that He freely bestowed on us and the beloved. Not by price, not by some work of ours, but freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. There is nothing more worthy than His grace, His love, the blood that He shed for us on the cross. There is nothing more valuable than God's grace, than God's love. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace that He parceled out in tiny little bits. No. Very stingily gave to it. No. Lavished upon us. Lavished. Look at that word. Lavished. That He lavished on us. If it were us giving out the grace, we would meet out in tiny little packets and we would take record of every little bit of grace that we got and we'd be forced to account for it. No, not God. He lavishes it upon us. He lavishes His grace upon us. Pours it out abundantly without regard without regard for our ability which is non-existent to earn it or deserve it he gives it to us freely 
That's what grace is. The freely given love of God. The, the Greek word is charis. There you see it, popping on up there, in Greek. Charis. That X, that A, that P, which is an R, that I, and that final S. Charis. Say that with me. Charis. Charis. Means grace. It is unearned, undeserved, undeservable, unmerited, and unmeritable love and favor. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You can do nothing to earn it. You can do nothing to merit it. No good work. No right doctrinal explication. No affirmation of faith. No degree of obeying the book of discipline. None of that gets you grace. Nothing that you do can earn you grace. By very definition, the word earn and the word grace cannot go together. Amen. It is God's freely given gift. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. It comes freely. It flows freely from God. It is the most valuable thing in this universe. Gold and silver don't come close. It is the riches of God's love for us. You can simply receive it. That's all you can do. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You don't merit it. But God gives it, and all we can do is receive it. Grace is, there's a great acronym to describe what grace is. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Not ours, because we can't do anything to earn it or create it, merit it, deserve it. Only Jesus. God's riches. At Christ's expense. The expense that he paid when he came into this world to live amongst us. When he was born in Bethlehem of Judea as a little baby. As he lived and grew. As he taught. As he healed. As he fed. And as he suffered. And as he died. And as he was buried. And as he was raised. We have God's grace. God's riches at Christ's expense, given, lavished upon us. Jesus is the source of all grace. Jesus is the substance of all grace. Jesus is the way of all grace. All grace comes from Jesus and through Jesus. To us, one of the things that the monks taught me was actually a Wesleyan concept, too. The concept of the means of grace. That God's grace comes to us from Jesus, through Jesus, by means of, by instrumental means of. The means of grace scripture, worship, prayer, service, given, baptism, communion, fellowship. All of the means and the instruments of God's grace are ways by which God 
communicates, transmits, conveys to us the love and presence of Jesus, the grace of God. Grace empowers us to have faith. Grace empowers us to believe and then act upon it. Grace empowers us to serve, to work in teaching Sunday school or vacation Bible school, to work giving a cup of water in the name of Jesus and to feed the hungry and clothe the naked. Grace empowers us to seek justice and resist evil in every guise they present themselves. Grace enables us to be witnesses to the love of God in a broken and hurting world. Grace empowers us, enables us, compels us, draws us, and woos us to exercise justice and mercy in life. But, but, but grace is not itself justice and mercy. What's the difference between justice, mercy, and grace? Justice is speeding down the highway going 75 miles per hour in a 55 mile per hour zone and a cop pulling you over and giving you a ticket. That's justice. In other words, justice is getting what you deserve. All right? Mercy is speeding down the highway going 75 in a 55 mile per hour zone and a cop pulling you over and giving you a warning. In other words, mercy is not getting what you deserve. Amen. <laughs> Catch the difference? <laughs> Amen is right. Yes. <laughs> Justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Hmm. Grace is speeding down the highway going 75 in a 20 mile per hour zone and a cop pulling you over and giving you $100. <laughs> That's grace. <laughs> In other words, grace is getting what you don't deserve. Amen. So often we think we want justice. No. <laughs> we want mercy. And so often we'll say, think we, we, we want mercy when what we need is grace. Amen. And when we have grace, we can seek justice. We can do mercy. We can be a people of grace, loving others in the name of Jesus Christ. In Hebrew, the word for justice is the same word as the word for righteousness. It means justice and it means righteousness. And the context determines the meaning. Wow. We are called to live by grace. And when we live by grace, when we trust in God, when we exercise faith, we can become merciful and seek justice. And when we do this, we have the righteousness of God living in us. This reality, this holistic understanding of the nature of God's grace functioning in our exercise of faith, empowering mercy and justice, 
This understanding was one that as a Methodist I should have known. And the monks in an Episcopalian monastery lived for me. I praise and thank God for Eldridge, a child of Farmersville. I thanks, give thanks and praise to God for these monks that taught me about the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. I give thanks and praise for the calling that each of us has to share the grace of God in acts of mercy and establishing justice. And I give thanks and praise to God for each and every one of you. The family of God here. For you have done what the family of God does with me. You have put out your arms and welcomed me. You have expressed God's grace and God's love. That's what we're called to do for everybody outside this building. We're called to express the love and the grace of God to all. And to welcome all without regard for who they are or what they are or what they look like or what language they speak or what their ethnicity is or what their family situation may be. We are called to welcome all into the comforting embrace of Jesus. To the grace of God, which we don't earn, we have received freely, and we're called to share freely with all. God's riches at Christ's expense, God's grace is something that isn't meted out miserly, but lavishly upon us all. God destined us for adoption as His children through Jesus Christ. In Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace that He lavished upon us. We have had God's love lavished upon us. We have been forgiven. We have received God's justifying and sanctifying grace. How can we not share it with all? The same prevenient grace of God that went ahead of us and called us and wooed us and guided us into the family of faith, into the loving arms of Jesus, calls us to reach out to others and to welcome all into the family of God. Who do you know in your life? Who do you know in your life that doesn't know Jesus? doesn't have an active relationship of faith, doesn't have a family of faith, a church to attend? Who do you know that has fallen away from the faith and isn't going to church anywhere? Who do you know that lacks a living relationship with Jesus? You all know someone. You might have to think about it for a bit. 
you all know someone who needs to hear the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. We all, every day, meet people with whom we share something in common. The need of God's grace. Share it with all you meet. Speak a word of love and grace to others. Exercise your faith. Be merciful. Establish justice and righteousness in the land by sharing the love of God. The lavish grace of God with all. Oh, Greg, we can't possibly do that. We don't know where they're from. We don't know what they're doing. We don't know if they're going to stop doing it. How can we share God's grace with them? Well, Jesus shared his grace with us before we came into this universe. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for you and for me. We are called to reach out to others with the loving message of the grace of God in Jesus Christ our Lord to all. That's our calling. That's our ministry. That's our identity as members of the body of Christ. And that's what we are doing and are going to do.